Welcome to the New Vision Podcast. I'm Jose T. Curtin. Thank you for joining me for another episode today. Have a great show in store for you. I'm going to be speaking with Andy himself, DJ and music producer. You can look out for that chat with him later down in the episode. Of course, thank you so much for all the support so far in terms of tuning into the show, sharing it with friends and um, all the feedback you've sent in via anchor messages and on social media. Um, As usual, I will ask if you can head to Apple Podcasts, if that's the way you listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts or iTunes, and leave us a review and a rating that would help other people to discover the show as well. So let's get into it. The first story I'm going to feature in this week's episode is on the ECCB hosting a dialogue on the COVID-19 pandemic and digital transformation. That is the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank, and that will be taking place on Thursday, November 5th. And they're going to basically be speaking about the opportunities for digitization under the recently approved World Bank funded Caribbean Digital Transformation Program, the CDTP. So that should be pretty interesting. And uh, I, I would hazard a guess that this type of stuff might have been brought up maybe five, 10 years, but because of current circumstances, this maybe has, has sped up discussions and things such as this, which will hopefully lead to, to implementation in a positive way. I know many of the, the tech um, industry persons that are listening to the show um, will have their ideas on how, how this can be best done and, and some things that can be done for easy wins to, to help dramatically improve the speed of business. That'll be one um, to improve government and public sector in terms of how they do business digitally. In a future episode, which you can listen to in a couple of weeks, Raquel Seville of BI Brains for the Caribbean was mentioning something where, where in terms of her having to go in um, to the office um, for a tax clearance certificate, I believe it was, and they're not having her record. So essentially, one part of the, the system, I guess you can say, was working. The other wasn't working because it wasn't joined together. So in terms of digital transformation, specifically speaking for the public sector, but even in the private sector as well, if your processes and systems are not joined up, then it can become almost useless to implement multi-million dollar programs that ultimately won't work because it's not properly implemented. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on this and what areas do you think can be most viable immediately for, for digital transformation, whether it be in the public sector, whether it be in specific areas of the public sector, as well as what you think about how, how that can assist in us doing business within the private sector and even in education. Um, so look forward to, to hearing what your thoughts are. You can obviously send a, a voice message for the Anchor app, and I will look forward to, to hearing your feedback and thoughts via that or, or on social media as well. I want to end the wronged up for this week's episode with some pretty positive news. The Climate Action Award winners were announced last week, I believe it was. And one of the winners actually included the Caribbean's only 
Carbon Neutral Hotel, which is located in Aruba. And that's called the Bukuti Antara Beach Resort. Definitely think that would be something in Barbados, Jamaica, Trinidad, all the Caribbean islands that we can aspire to having more hotels, more uh, accommodations, more villas, what have you, be carbon neutral. In fact, I, I think we should be looking at having residential homes becoming carbon neutral um, over the next decade or two. Um, so that's definitely positive. Other winners included the world's inaugural Green Bonds platform, as well as the first all-women solar team out of Lebanon. And Lebanon, if you've not been following the news, has had a pretty awful year. And, and even as bad years go, they, they've, they've had a terrible year. So definitely want to commend the all-women team over in Lebanon who've been working on solar. And that is definitely something I think in the Caribbean we should be increasingly focusing on as well. I, I know there have been plans in the works in, in different Caribbean islands, but I think we need to even push fuller steam ahead, so to speak, on that. So I'd like to hear from you on whether there are any developments you would like to see in terms of how we better address climate change, whether it's from energy, food security, um, or many other challenges faced in that area. So look forward to hearing from you and you can get in touch via anchor messages or on Instagram or Twitter. spotlight I want to focus on for this week is food security. Now, this has been a challenge that I have been thinking of for over a decade or so, but it's going to increasingly become a very important issue we will face along with the very closely related issue of water security. That might be even more important since, as we all know, you can't go more than a few days without water or without liquids of some kind. And in, in at least in Barbados, there have been uh, people that have had unpredictable water supply for, I think, at least three or four years now. Um, so I'm not sure what is the case in other Caribbean islands in terms of whether, that, whether it has been to that level of uncertainty in terms of water supply. But that's going to be increasingly an issue of this decade in terms of water security, but food security as well. So I, I would say that individually as island states, we, sh we should have food security as being a priority, but also as well as a collective of, of Caribbean island states, we need as well to see how strategically we, we can ensure that our agriculture and food security is as good as possible. This is going to call for some collective action at the CSME CARICOM level, but why else is the the organization set up if not for if not to deal with issues of this nature? So I would really like to hear what your thoughts are on that in terms of food security and how we can best address that, not just as individual island states, um, 
floating in, in different um, parts of the Caribbean Sea, but also on a collective level and, and even as well on an advocacy level on the global stage for, for interests that we have in the Caribbean in terms of food security. So leave your thoughts either via, again, Anchor Messages or on Instagram or Twitter. Definitely looking forward to hearing your feedback on this uh, very critical issue. to be joined by Andy himself who's a longtime friend and former collaborator music wise Andy is a Trinidad born electronic music artist music producer and DJ who has been making waves in the UK and European electronic music markets he's co-owner of Mad Pack Music a left field based music label resident DJ on one of the leading platforms to UK dance music data transmission radio which I've been following for over a decade and has releases on labels in the UK, Holland, and Australia. He's also shared the same festival stages as a DJ with names such as Green Velvet, Solardo, Latman, Danny Tanaglia, Cryoman, Yuku, and others. And he really continues to push the Trinidadian dance music brand globally. Thank you for joining me, Andy. How are you, sir? I'm well, man. Thanks for having me here. And thank you for that lovely intro. Always, always. And how uh, has the the pandemic been treating you in terms of creativity-wise? Um, it has been an up-and-down struggle, to be honest. Um, since the start of the year, I have had so many projects in the pipeline for this year already, so I have been working constantly. But, of course, it, that being said, even though I was able to be creative for the most part, um, it also impacted negatively in terms of, like, you know, income from events and gigs right well imagine many people might know but for musicians the large amount of income tends to come from actual live gigs and that this goes from smaller musicians and djs to to big ones even um so i I imagine that really has been a, a very much a big impact on the in terms of not having live events and even if you did have live events the the attendance not being the same as it was pre covid um, so can you tell us a bit about your journey into electronic music? I, I know you would have studied in Barbados at UEK Phil um, back in the day. I don't want to date your age, um, but can you tell us a bit about, about your journey into the, to the electronic music scene? Um, yeah, bro. Um, it's been a long journey, to be honest. Um, but I'll just say that as young as I can remember, I've always been like surrounded by music, you know, um, even though I studied at, uh, like, basically studied, like, music technology in universities in Trinidad and, like, music business and, like, in London, etc. Um, as far as I can remember, being the last child, I absorbed everything, like, my older siblings listened to, which at the time, you know, was a lot of hip-hop, 90s hip-hop, rap music, alternative rock, even dance on soccer. I absorbed everything, right? But, um... Based on everything um, that was like, I was surrounded by, I felt most at home with hip hop and rap music initially. But as time went on, 
um, my sister had moved to the UK and that her being in the UK and me having that, I guess, reason to visit her in the UK, being exposed to that scene really opened up my palate to the world of electronic dance music. And around like early 2000s, um, that was trance music, right? So I was a huge fan. Still, I'm a fan, just not as active as I was before in trance music. I'm still a fan of it. But um, in visiting her over the summers from as a teenager to now, purchasing a lot of compilations um, that really educated me on the genre. And of course, you know, the internet helped as well, right? Um, so trance was my starting point. And I knew that each of these trance compilations, I used to buy a sum of money on buying. Um, CD1 would be like the peak time trance tracks. And CD2 at the time would have been like the house, house tracks. And um, so I, I never really listened to house initially, but I noticed that um, I found myself feeling most at home with some of the trance records I purchased that had some essence of like soul on it, like soulful vocals and the energy of trance where the soulful vocals made me um, want to explore something a little bit further in another genre, you know? So that made me go back and listen to like the CD2s um, of these compilations of purchased, which were um, predominantly house artists. And that allowed me to get acquainted with house music artists and producers and DJs, you know? So that's how it went. And you would have mentioned in, when you were answering just now that you would have studied in the UK. Can you tell us about how living in the UK for a good time, studying and otherwise, how that would have shaped your sound as well as how it impacted you both personally and professionally? Being, I mean, of course, having a sibling, being in, in London and living in London for years. Um, I mean, I've been going to, to the UK for since I was a teen, right? And um, visiting all these summers, um, I was studying between there between 2014 and 2016. And that period, it was a, a real eye-opening like experience because the even though I used to visit or I visited England or London every summer mainly, um, I had a, me actually being part of the scene, like physically and being there as opposed to me doing it from behind a computer opened up my eyes to a lot of things, you know, um, allowed me to understand the, the entire dance music industry a little bit more, the politics, um, how being a Caribbean artist is like perceived both in a positive and negative light, um, how well nepotism works for most people in the industry. Um, and also like which niche markets were mm -hmm. more accepting than others, right? Because London is such a big city. Um, it's such a melting pot of um, cultures as well. Um, the strange thing is, is that even though there are a lot of like house and techno events in London, there's also a very strong Caribbean culture. And, um, and the way that I would say second and third generation Caribbean kids uh, perceive and how they interpolate Caribbean music into their productions is extremely unique. And even though I knew this from before, that I think me really living in that scene and being part of that allowed me to find that uniqueness as an artist, right? And, um, you know, even the good and bad times throughout my journey, I, um, it made me really appreciate 
being from the Caribbean and by extension, Trinidad and Tobago, and how to use my uniqueness as a Caribbean artist to be creative and use that unique, uniqueness sorry, in a more palatable way for listeners globally. Right? So it was a real eye-opening um, experience. I mean, I still have to visit UK and London because for some reason UK always opens, always has, like gives me projects and work. So um, my experience in UK over the years from then to now, yeah, continues to be really interesting and dynamic. And uh, something I wanted to, to raise with you is uh, I've always found it funny in, in dance music. Well, I guess it's probably been happening for, for quite some time because some people do perceive in the Caribbean dance music and specifically house and techno music as being music for white people. Uh, when the, that is the furthest thing yeah. from the truth. Now, now, a lot of the biggest names or most well-known names yeah. now um, on the mainstream side anyway of, of house and techno may be persons that are not black, but the reality of it is the, the music was actually started largely in Chicago and Detroit, and those were almost all of them um, African-American people. Um, so can you speak to how that would have been in the foundation phase of house and techno music? That would have been the impression. And it still remains in terms of, say, tropical house and other elements of dance music. Like I would say, Mumbaton does have some Caribbean flavor to it. And other parts of, of dance music does have a lot of um, African and Caribbean elements. But yet it is not really... I don't want to say friendly to, to in terms of the Caribbean people, but yet we don't seem to embrace uh, embrace it as as maybe we could. True, true. Um, it's a real ongoing battle because, like, um, even recently, like I had a a, a write up on on Loop, right? Loop TT, which you know there's like Loop in Caribbean or whatever, and I was talking to um, mm-hmm. the editor of it and. She was talking to me about like as much as Trinidadians aren't like no artists like myself are doing house, they just don't care about it because it just doesn't do well because um America doesn't um it's not trending in the top forty billboard charts and that's what Trinidadians initially will follow now. And um it has been hard for me because I went through many different stages in my journey in terms of like oh, I'm going to try to um, educate Trinidadians on house music and I'm going to like have these events um, and tr- show the world that we do house music in the Caribbean. But from my experience, to be brutally honest, from the people I've met throughout the journey, they really do not care. They like the fact that I am from Trinidad and they have this cool, exotic and inverted commas artist on their roster, which is cool. But at the end of the day, um, artists, at least in house and techno, they just want quality music. You know what I mean? Um, but in my journey, like more this year, like I, so me, that stint of, of me being um, active in the music scene in, in UK um, between like, I've said 2013 to well to now, it made me um, see how, like I mentioned earlier, how the second and third generation kids um use their their like part of their culture or or their upbringing their dna to create like these real left field genres right um 
like for example how they created like uk funky which is like house music but like a soca snare pattern right but it's really different it brings a whole new breath of fresh air to soca music now and um how they have like of course like genres like grime and stuff um how drum and bass started all that came from the Windrush, you know the Windrush um generation you understand but um i i found a way working with um this uh label uh wild loud music as the australian based label which i'll talk a little bit more later on but um that opened up my world to or my eyes to like how much that scene which i don't even know what to call it like they call it like global club beat sort of like scene how much they respect and love the love the fact that i'm from trinidad and tobago mm. like that's more of a selling point more than the music i put out compared to me working in, in house as well you get what i'm saying so it really is a bit of a difference but um i i like it uh, i stop as much as i like to, to let people know i'm from the caribbean um it's really the product that speaks for itself right and um it can't you cannot force people to understand what you're doing but you will have to spend your energy focusing on the ones who really care you know and i think that is the hardcore truth for anything um well it's the arts or or otherwise really the people that love you yeah. love you and at the end of the day you have to stand on the quality of the music you're putting out or the quality of the art you're putting out rather than necessarily where you're from could you give some advice to to young artists in 2020 that are based in the Caribbean and that may be hearing what you're saying and and hearing about your journey and so on. What what advice would you give to, to young music producers from the Caribbean? To be honest, boy, um, you know, any advice I really give is to anyone looking to get into this, uh, once you're young in it or not, um, things do not happen overnight. Um, and if you happen to have the best links, you know, and can get by faster than your peers within the music industry, once you don't prove yourself to everyone that you should be there in the first place and you have what it takes, um, you won't last long. You understand? Um, you really have to put any work, always stay ahead of the rest. Um, there will be, you have to understand, there will be a lot of failures and moments where you want to give up and choose another career path. but. In this game, resilience plays like a major role in progressing in this music industry and consistency as well. You know, um, there will be a time, like let's say you now start in the music industry and there will be like a moment of clarity where I guess the universe will present to you that you should be in this in, in the music industry or in this industry. If you don't have that moment of clarity and you just keep getting rejection after rejection after rejection, you would know when you belong or you don't belong, if you get what I'm saying, you know. Um, while maintaining that good work ethic of putting in your work and understanding that things will happen overnight, I will advise that you should also, yes, while having the talent in creative commerce and putting in your work and um, having what it takes you sh and having that creative eye is what I was trying to say, um, you should also learn like the business side of the industry, right? Um, that's very important um, because you need to understand how the music business works. You need to understand um, how you can make money in this industry. Um, I, I, 
use your business sense to identify like your income making markets in this industry have multiple revenue streams in order to survive in this industry you know and um even with that being said like with all that in mind like from everybody's journey and path is different now. and i only recently learned like some of the artists i've been talking to like some of the big names who tour a lot and extensively in house and techno they tour they do all these things but I didn't know they had like mm-hmm. a day job, like they own a business on the side. Some of them, you know, might have been like a lawyer. You know, they just don't post about it on social media. And that really made me feel better about myself in terms of like I worked corporate for a while while I was doing this, you know, even though it was hard. Um, it's okay to have that day job while you're doing your music. You know, more money is better. You know, better than none. You know what I mean? If you don't get money from music. And the reality is you can use that or should be using that to invest in yourself, whether it's better equipment, doing courses, um, training and so on. Um, so exactly. really and truly, there's no shame in, in, in that being the case for even if it's for a couple of years. Exactly. That's very true. You need to educate yourself. Um, I, I mean, I went to school, like university to study music business sound like, you know, music audio engineer and et cetera. But um, you don't necessarily have to do that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but the, the, and, and the internet is your friend and Google is your friend. And you would learn a lot on, you know, on just Google and stuff, YouTube, um, a lot of like two-day courses online, as I mentioned. Just like the learning never stops. At the end of the day, you learn something new. Even if you have years of experience, you can learn something new every day. Because the moment you think that you learned enough, some young kid or anybody is in a room somewhere doing it in a completely different way. And that could be like the new trend to like overshadow your relevance. You know what I mean? So you always need to be one step ahead and always be willing to learn and be humble as well. So you're the co-owner of Mad Pack Music. And we were just talking about, you know, um, setting trends and always making sure you're you're keeping up and being relevant. In terms of young producers, young artists, would you say it's better in 2020 to try to have a indie label, even if it's not necessarily other people you're releasing as well, but, but it's just yourself or, or is it still worthwhile trying to get the co-sign of a major label, whether it's dance music or, or otherwise? Um, well, I'm still trying to figure out 2020, to be honest, right? Um, it's so uncertain. And I, like this year, things changed so much and I only learned, um, like this week, how a lot of labels are not necessarily releasing music right now um, because of the uncertainty of new events, etc. in some markets like the UK, right? So I will just answer this question from like, hypothetically, if we weren't in a pandemic. And um, it, it is always good to, to have your own label because um, the thing is, in releasing music, independently on your own label um once it's also um once you also have a good distributor working with your label to place your tracks on playlists etc i think that's really good to have because you have ownership of your product right and you'll be able to have control as well and see you know 
basically learning intricacies of this arm industry to know how to protect yourself in contract deals, et cetera, from other labels. But with that being said, um, I wouldn't like, you know, not um, endorse trying to get signed from a large or major label. I think like one cycle that really works is having your own label, yes. Um, release, you don't necessarily have to release everyone. Focus on yourself, release your music. It's just a platform to release tunes that you want to release. Also, send demos, pitch demos to um, to the bigger labels because while the, like, from my experience, these bigger labels, like, even though in the underground scene, they have larger, more popular ones, they may not necessarily pay in terms of making money from royalties or sales, but you are basically using them as PR for your brand, promotion for your brand, right? They have a wider reach and a wider audience. So I think having that independent label and pitching it to major labels, you can use both of them to your advantage of your brand. Because at the end of the day, your brand is what is important. You understand? Um, mm -hmm. And in addition to that, so if you have that sort of cycle of launching a label, releasing your own music, have music coming out on more popular labels, of course, even if it's a major label deal like top 40 sort of deals, still really stuff on your own because you will be getting promotion from a major label and that will filter down to your um, promotion of your tracks on this, on this indie label and still release music for free as well because releasing music for free are like popular edits or remixes of tracks that people know. That all helps with creating awareness of your brand. And... um. I think that's the best way forward for any artist, really. I like the advice there is a mix of, you know, being a part of the industry, so to speak, by being with the, the big labels. If assuming you have the talent to be signed by the big labels and releasing on your own label, as well as, you know, releasing edits of popular music. Um, I would say the latter part, especially is a, a tried and true tactic for many years. So I, I think that's definitely a route worth taking. What what projects are you working on currently, Andy? Um, I have a lot. Um, well, since since January this year, boy, um, I oh since his last late last into to now has been a lot of different projects. Um, I, like people would assume I'm not releasing anything as only because the business side of it with COVID is a little uncertain. So. A lot of things have been rescheduled behind behind the arm um, scene. But thing is, this year, like around February this year, a lot of the go-to names in tech house and techno in the UK and Europe have been reaching out to me somehow. Um, like some of them I really look up to. Like I don't really want to mention anything yet. But um, so in getting to know them and talking to them, and it was very like a like cool, relaxed banter. They, they decided to ask me to send them some music you know, for their labels and stuff. And um, yeah, they really liked it and they really like the direction I'm going in. So I have some EPs coming out with some of these artists' um, labels very soon and some of them as well. Um, they were supposed to release next month, November, but because the UK government's uh, telling people, uh, because these, these labels are in the UK and because I do a lot of work in the UK, so the UK government are telling a lot of artists to get a new job and they're not given any any artists or the music industry, I should say, the sufficient money, any support, right? Um, right now, the dance floors and the DJs, we need to play the music, um, would all suffer. So because of that, I had some meetings with them, and we just 
waiting to see when is the right time to release music, you know. But um, what I'll say about that project, um, you know, I used to be really active in London, um, but I have my eye on Manchester right now, you know. So as well goes, you see what happens. But um, additionally, I've been, like I mentioned, doing work with while out. Um, I've been more experimental in the studio, right? So I think with me along my journey um, of doing stuff with some really big names and stuff like um, releasing music with like on Funk and Mons label, like one of the household names in Netherlands. Um, even though that was good and it was like a little breakthrough, mini breakthrough, mm-hmm. um, working with them made me understand how, because some of the stuff I'm doing now, they didn't necessarily understand. Um, it just wasn't the right sound for them. But that made me sort of find the right people to accept it. And that was this label, um, While Out in Australia. And um, they promote, I didn't even know that the genre is called Global Club Beats. Like that label really pushes that genre, right? Which is basically like, it is basically um, encapsulates house, techno, Mumbaton, um, ballet funk, um, UK funky, um, drum and bass, just like a whole mix mash of left field goodness, right? And um, I released a track with them in me called Mandem No More, right? And um, which was basically a remix of a scene from Top Boy, right? A, a Netflix series. And um, that was that was basically done as a joke. But the whole, like, the kind of, like, how that was received by a whole new demographic of fans from, like, South America, a lot from Brazil, Asia, Europe, UK, of course, and, well, Australia. I didn't really know how much of a demand that sort of, I, I wouldn't really call it, I mean, I call it UK funky, but that sort of, like, global club beat stuff being produced by my Trinidadian, like how much of a demand there is for it. They, the same label asked me to continue selling their music. So I've been working on like more EPs and I think for them too. Also like running a label too is a lot of work, like running my back with my business partner, Madhead City. We have a lot of music from both, both um, him and myself and collabs between both of us and other artists as well. Tell, tell us a bit about that, though. Um, what, what's in store, I guess, next year for, for Mad Pack? We have Mad Pack right now. We try to release every everything we release. We do it with a state-of-the-art or close to state-of-the-art um, music video because the label invested in a, a lot of um, like camera equipment. It works. So we put in a lot of work and not only put it out music, but creating content behind each project, right? So um, I've known Madhead City for years from university, et cetera. And um, he, I mean, I don't know if you don't know, but he's very active in the drum and bass scene, like with labels like UKF and Viper and very well known in that scene. And um, mm-hmm. even though he is known for more drum and bass, he is able to adapt to really anything. You know what I mean? So him and I have a lot of left field things coming out. Um, it's good because it's our label. So even though he's the one who created the idea, he brought me on as partner, but together it's ours, right? And it allows us to just do what the hell we want. 
and not have to worry with oh it's not the right fit for this label because that's like a that was one issue that I had a lot between 2018 and now like I had to stick with the same sound of the label which I understand but I couldn't really step out of my um, comfort zone of being a little bit more adventurous and doing left field things you know Um, that's why we created our own thing to do that so um, we we dropped a track last Friday well Madden City and another um, a Bristol based producer called Leader Stray track called Style and Ting which is like a fusion of UK funky, um, the Caribbean or carnival drums of, you know, of the Caribbean and Trinidad and Tobago soca music as well. Um, and aspects of like UK grime and stuff. And it just came out with this explosion of a, of a, of a fusion of elements now. And um, so we have a lot of tracks like that coming out. Um, a lot of more things like um, we have a track coming out with... Uh, Trinidadian artists. Because I'm talking about it because I did um, tease it on my socials. Um, a track called Island Time. So it was a remix of Brave Boy. A track he released called Island Time. But we released a new remix on my back. And um, I I started that project. It was basically a Jersey Club 140 sort of um, vibe. And I didn't go in thinking I was going to create that, but came on creating like this Jersey Club kind of vibe. And um, yeah, we played the tenor party at Carnival Time um, because Madrid City also helped with the, some of the production on our track too. So the remix on both of us. But we played the tenor party Carnival Time in Trinidad, a gig we had, and I was surprised to see the response I got. Like Trinis actually liked the set because there's a predominantly soccer party. They hired hired us to do our thing, and we played our thing, a mixture of house, everything you could think of, and. We had people going insane. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think um, with my pack, um, without it being my intention, I think it would allow trainees to understand what I'm doing in house and techno. Because we made a genre or trying to create this movement or this genre that's more palatable to a Caribbean palette. Um, but at the same time, there is a scene for it worldwide, you know? So in that way, you just unite everybody. So that's really the main um, objective of, of us with MadPak, really, you know? I want to pull on something you said there, which is international profile, and, and you would have mentioned surprise at the, how, how it was received in terms of Australia, Brazil, et cetera. I think as a, as a, as a region, especially I'm speaking of the, the nations that predominantly it's Calypso, Soca music, we, we have to start thinking globally and actually implementing things that would see us being relevant globally. Jamaica's branded their, their music scene very well in terms of reggae, dancehall music. I don't think we necessarily have done the same. And obviously Trinidad's carnival is massive um, on a global scale. But I don't think you can have an industry that's around for only three months, four months a year. I don't think you call that industry. I want to say all that to, to get to the question of if you were the dictator for a year or whatever to do some policies that you think would improve the Trinidadian music industry, what would those be from Andy himself? 
Well, I must start by saying that, sadly, we don't have a music industry in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, we have a music scene. Um, we have a soccer scene, very seasonal scene. But the reason I say we don't have industry is because we don't have any kind of structure for artists to benefit from other than performing. And that is not an industry. To me, that's just a scene and a platform, right? So what I would do is if I had the power to sort of improve the Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago um, music scene and make it an industry, um, I would start from the, um, the foundation of the kids in terms of like educating them in terms of how to basically what the music industry is and how you can um, make money from the music industry and how to do that from simple things like, you know, what is the ISRC code, um, how to make money from, from um, publishing, sync licenses, streams. Um, I know there are some people now starting to do that, but we find, you know, in Trinidad, the average Trinidadian artist, they just seem, they think that they shouldn't care about those things, you know? And knowing, having like that sort of knowledge from young would give you that sort of direction on, okay, well, since there's so many ways to make money from this, it doesn't necessarily have to be from just putting on music and to the world, to the average Joe public and expect it to do well, because that is not how it happens, you know? Um, I wish if I had the power of Trinidad, in Trinidad, like some kind of dictator or prime minister in Trinidad, to be able, um, I'll invest in our music industry and not necessarily in soccer. Like, I find, like, here the... Power, ones who have the power, they think that if you're not doing soccer, we're not as important. And there are so many artists internationally from Trinidad and Tobago flying and representing in Trinidad and Tobago flag. And um, I, I like, yeah, we have um, respect to Marshall Montano, Bungie Garland, and like Cass, for example. Um, they, they are all worldwide um, you know, known artists, but that's just one genre. That's just soccer music. Like, it's just like taking a page out of Barbados' book in terms of like pumping money into some sort of like scheme or policy that allows us to discover the next big thing, like how Barbados did a Rihanna, for example. Rihanna, for example, sorry. Um, I wish we could have done that in Trinidad. If I had the power, I would do those sort of things. So at least you know that every artist has an equal chance to be discovered by, you know, major labels to to basically be used as an export, you know what I mean? Having an export as a as a artist. Well, I know tourism isn't our main um, ways of getting for the government to get revenue from, but mm-hmm. you know it will help Tobago. That's Trinidad and Tobago. We work hand in hand. I think it won't it won't hurt us having a, a, another next big thing as a you know music producer or artist coming out of Trinidad and Tobago. You know what I mean? I would also change the archaic laws in our government. Like the, our government, um, I mean, I, I'm not a minister, so I don't know what goes behind like closed doors. But they just um, and listening to like their budgets and and what they say, they will say things, but they don't follow up in really allowing the creative sector to be like one of the major um, money making markets. You know what I mean? There's a lot of creatives just having to do things on their own. 
you might create little things here and there, but it's all full. It all, all falls apart at some point because it's not well um, monetized and well monitored, you know? It's not structure. Yeah, it's no structure. And that's why I say we don't have any music industry here at all. It's just a music scene. And those sort of things and going through that for so many years, it forces artists like myself and others to just keep doing things on, on you know, every man for themselves. We just do it on our own. And um, I'm surprised I am still relevant and still uh, able to keep pushing my brand because I've learned ways um, to not fall behind, you know? Um, like I didn't even know when I finished music business school how much I really knew, but having to apply it to my career since like 2016 to now when I finished, um, it really it really impacted me in a positive way because like everything I mentioned there is basically things I've learned, few things I've learned going to music business school, you know. Well, I would push back on only one thing you said there, and that was in terms of Barbados government supporting Rihanna. I would say that was a more a very typical Caribbean story of an individual doing what they had to do and using their talent. And then by bandwagoners, i.e. the government, uh, come in behind after they've succeeded and seeing how proud they are, which is fair enough of being proud of her. But what we need is structure, structure and right. programs and policies that actually create not just one Rihanna, not just one star, but a industry, an industry is not made out of one person or two people. An industry is made out of a, a group of maybe 10 very successful people, but then you have a middle class below that that are able to have strong livings out of doing music, doing art, doing painting, doing sculpture, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so that's something we, we need to do. Uh, my father used to say that we need to stop making sport at sport. And I think that kind of applies to the creative sector as well. There have been a lot of nice meaning words. And from a Barbadian context, the Arabaro Center for create, for the creatives is was a very good um, thing done. I think that was about maybe a decade or so ago. But we need much more in terms of this latter half, well, the middle and latter half of this century. There's going to be technology and there's going to be intellectual property from various industries, including the creative sector. And if we think that the traditional jobs of the past are what's going to take the Caribbean forward, I think we'll be in for a very surprising shock in the next, well, in this decade, maybe as soon as that. So definitely appreciate what you said, saying there. Um, I just would push back on the Rihanna bit. But where, where can people find Andy himself online as well as Mad Park Music? Yeah, well, we are everywhere. Um, I mean, as anybody will search for things online, you can just do a, a Google search on Abandi himself. You would get all my things coming up on Instagram, or you can look me up on Instagram at Andy underscore himself, um, soundcloud.com slash Andy himself music. Sorry, slash Andy himself, sorry. I apologize, no music. But yeah, once you do a Google search, you can get all my platforms. Everything we have in music, Spotify, Beatport, etc. But Mad Pack, we only now started, so we both on um, Facebook and Instagram. So you can find us at Mad Pack Music. So it's M A D P A K Music. And of course, those links, all those links will be in the podcast description. So you can find those and be able to follow Andy himself as well as his new label, 
He's co-founded Madpack Music. Um, thanks very much for coming on the show, Andy. It's definitely not going to be the last time. And um, definitely look forward to hearing more from your new label as well as new music. And uh, potentially, you never know, myself. I don't know, many people listening might not know, but I actually produce or used to produce music and I'm back in the lab recently. Thanks again, Andy. We, we'll talk soon and um, pleasure having you on the show, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, bro. It's been a pleasure. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Vision Podcast. Of course, you can download every episode on your favorite podcast app on your Apple or Android device. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We would really appreciate your feedback, which you can give us on IG or Twitter, or alternatively, leave a voice note through the Anchor.fm app. Until next time. Thank you.